Welcome to the Asset Management Mastery Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 50 years of combined experience in operations and management, and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Asset Management Mastery Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. This podcast is focused on educating operators, building better systems, and becoming a best-in-class operator. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery. Join us at the Virtual Asset Management Summit on June 21st through June 27th. It's a seven-day content-packed event for multifamily operators and asset managers with over 1,500 attendees and over 20 amazing speakers. You will hear from top experts about topics such as construction management, KPIs, refinancing, investor relations, the capital stack, disposition, and so much more. Go to www.amsummit2021.com to grab your free ticket to become the best-in-class operator. Discover the best asset management strategies all in one place. We hope to see you there at the Virtual Asset Management Summit. All right, today, Gary and I are going to talk about our 42-unit asset, Midtown on 2nd in Tucson, that we actually just recently sold. So we're going to talk about the business plan a little bit and some other things about that sale that we learned. Yeah, this was our first property we bought in May 2007, uh, 2019. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that, that original business plan? Yeah, so when we bought it, we actually purchased it for less than the seller purchased it for back in 2008. And the reason was they were an out-of-state operator and they were just not running the property very well. And that's something that Gary and I look for is operational inefficiencies. I think operational efficiencies create more value than just a you know interior rehab. So there was a lot of things going wrong. The, the number one thing that I always go back to is the sign on the corner of the street had a phone number and the phone number was disconnected. And we tried to find this property online in every which way and we could not find it. So there was no possible way that anyone could even lease up the property except for calling the property management company that managed it, which there was no signage or anything, and then asking, hey, do you have anything available at one of your properties? And then that property management company picking that property to sell. You know, So the property was definitely struggling. It needed some love on the interior renovations as well. It needed some safety things. And we decided to do something a little bit different where this is like an old motel style building and they had sliding glass doors. And I think the number one thing is when you think of sliding glass doors, I mean, if it's to your backyard or something, that's fine, but that is the front entrance. So safety was a huge concern. Very thin glass. I mean, I can punch my hand straight through the through the thing without any force. And so we spent a little bit more money on the exterior of the property than we initially anticipated. It was probably about 1200 bucks a unit just for the doors, but we, we changed them out to solid wood doors, which number one made the property look just absolutely great. But also from a safety standpoint, a lot of the residents loved it. But that business plan was essentially changing out those doors, upgrading the unit interiors, Fixing the deferred maintenance of the property, there was a lot of work in service calls and service orders that just weren't getting it attended to with the plumbing. 
fixed some of the plumbing, painted the property. And then from there, after that, really put some money into the interiors and raise the rents that way. And we were getting huge rent bumps and, and most of the people were staying too, which was phenomenal. Yeah, I think that was the thing that surprised us the most is that we had 16 out of 42 units that were month to month. And we were a little worried that we were going to have a mass exodus. But I think the business plan of putting the property management place in first first, then fixing all the exterior and the deferred maintenance before you raise the rents. So you're showing the residents that you're making it a safer place to stay and a better place to stay. 15 out of 16 residents ended up staying that were month to month. And that just shows they liked where they lived. They just didn't like the property management or the management of the property. Once we showed them that we were going to do everything we can to make them happy, all of them stayed. And man, I mean, we've, we raised, I think in the, in the first year, we raised rent six times as, as far as the market rents, not on one person, but that's how much demand we were having for this property after we put in all the, the funds into the exterior and the deferred maintenance. Yeah, not only did they stay, but they stayed with a rent bump of, you know, $200, $300, which was, blew my mind. There were some people that were paying $300 for 16 years. You know, that's the other thing that was an opportunity with this property. I mean, the the list goes on and on with the opportunity with this property, but no rent bumps for 16 years. That's that's a an opportunity and an issue. And so, you know, we definitely had to get people's expectations moving in a different direction, but that also is a result of the owner not doing anything at the property. So, it's really hard to raise the rents of a property when you're not going to do anything that's going to serve the residents. You know, we made the place a better place to stay, a safer place to stay, less issues with the plumbing or whatever it is, leaks or, you know, crime. All those things were fixed before we raised the rents and the residents appreciated that. And in fact, we got a resident that actually wrote a letter to us thanking them for improving the property. And, you know, to me, that was what it was all about. I thought that that was fantastic. And it really made me feel, you know, like we were doing the right thing, which we were. And along with that, you know, you can definitely raise the raise the rents and the NOI. Yeah, that's that's just good asset management. You know, a lot of a lot of operators buy their property, put their property management team in place and and quite honestly fall asleep at the wheel. But th- there's so much opportunity out there on, on a property and we were just banging them out, uncovering more and more things to do. So let's talk about pivoting because, I, I, you know, we we did pivot because we were so successful in the beginning. So what was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, it was the opinion of the broker. And the reason was because we got to our performa numbers well in advance. We had turned this property in six months because like I said, 15 of 16 people that we were anticipating moving out were actually staying there. And so we were getting year three rents in the first six months. So we knew we had a good deal on our hand and we wanted to maybe at least take a look at the opportunity of what it would look like if we sped up the process of our business plan. I think we always, I talk about this before, we always look at the velocity of our investors' capital. And so if we're on an upward trend, fantastic. But as soon as it starts to flatten off, we want to see if we can get them into a new deal where we can potentially double, triple, quadruple their money instead of just riding out this you know, stabilized property. So the property was fully stabilized. The broker who sold it to us, which our rule of thumb is always to sell it with that same broker, unless that broker is not a top multifamily broker who can get top price. You want to make sure you have the right person selling it. But essentially for relationship purposes, we're always going to sell it with the same broker that sold us as long as they're a good solid broker. So we showed them the property and said, hey, what do you think? You know, And a lot of operators out there do this. They implement another level of renovations. And they said, you know what you should do is do a premium renovation and see what that costs and see what you get for the rents. And we just thought, man, we're already capped out on rents. I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try it on one unit. 
So we spent $1,200 and got a $90 rent bump. And we were like, holy cow, this is, this is going to be great, right? So the goal at that point was either continue to do that renovation and just finish off all the units that way, or do we do five or six of them, a handful, test the market, which we did, and we got the rents on all of them, and then sell it to the next person for a, a value add. And so we tested the market. We had to pivot a little bit because those were renovation funds that we didn't have budgeted per se, right? And so we were lucky enough where we saved about 30 grand on another project that we didn't have to use those funds. So we utilize those funds for these interior premiums. But when you have a budget, you've got to be able to stick to that budget. And so we had to take a look at it and say, hey, can we afford these five units to, to do? Where can we pull that money from? It was an easy decision because we had 30 grand and it only cost about six grand to upgrade those units. But regardless, if you're in the middle of a business plan and you're pivoting, it's always good to know how much capital you have to be able to make those decisions. Because if we did put those five units on for $6,000 and didn't get any rent bump, obviously, you know, you're kind of eating that, eating those funds. And so after doing that, it was a, a no brainer. And we decided to list the property early for sale because we were going to get our year six sales price before year two. And then we can get the velocity of our capital, our investors capital, like I talked about earlier, move that into another deal where there's more value add and more upward velocity. And obviously nothing goes as smooth as, as it's planned. So why don't you talk about some of the obstacles we had in selling this? Yeah, I love this property. I miss this property already because it really didn't have any operational issues. I mean, I don't have to knock on wood because, you know, it's it's uh, it's sold. But the issue was the debt that we put on it. I, I definitely learned from that. And when we first got going in this apartment business, you want to make sure that you're protecting your backside. And, and that's, you know, with long-term debt. And with long-term debt, sometimes comes bad prepayment penalties. And we chose to do a yield maintenance prepayment penalty instead of a step-down. Step-downs 55443321 in different variations. But essentially what it is, is it's predictable. I can tell you that if I sell in year three, it's going to be 4%. If I sell in year five, it's going to be 3%. With a yield maintenance, you just can't tell. So it's not predictable. And it's something very hard to underwrite for and plan for. But what it does is it allowed us to get a 40 to 50 basis point discount on the interest rate. So that's the mistake we met, made is we didn't begin with the end in mind. We didn't think, hey, what if this property does well? What if we want to sell in two years? We were just thinking, okay, six or seven years down the road, the yield maintenance will have burned off for the most part. And when we wanted to sell in year two, our prepayment penalty was 30 to 40% of the size of the loan. So our, our loan on this was $1.1 million. It ranged anywhere from $330,000 up to $380,000, which obviously is not going to work. And so we had to look for a very specific buyer, someone that would assume the loan. Because when you assume the loan, you take over the existing debt, which does not trigger the prepayment penalty. And so that limits the buyer pool. And actually, the property was under contract twice and fell out twice because they just couldn't make sense of the assumption. Fortunately, we found a 1031 buyer. And 1031 buyers are just a different breed. They're willing to take on lower debt. They just need to put money to work in order to save on taxes. And so that's the person we went for. But really, the process ended up being a year long. And if we didn't have that prepayment penalty, and we could have just sold it straight on new free and clear debt, we probably could have sold it for more money and also much, much quicker. Yeah, absolutely. We kind of talk about this in our best in class book and our asset management mastery course is the deal is never done until you actually close. You know, you got to run it all the way to the very end. 
Yeah, exactly. And so if we didn't do that, the fact that it dropped out twice, our occupancy could have dipped, rent collections could have dipped. And so at no point did we know whether we were going to truly close. And, you know, on this last go around, I mean, we were just, it really was pretending as if we weren't going to close because we had already known two had fallen out. And so it it really is important to just operate your property as is, like you're going to hold on to it for five more years, even if you're in the selling process. So you just never know until the last day of closing if it's going to close or not. Yeah, so this was a case, six-year business plan, no idea that we were going to potentially sell it after a year, and the opportunity arose, and, and we pivoted based on the expertise insight from our broker, our property management company. It wasn't just you know Kyle and I thinking about it. We had a, a team of people that helped us through that process, and it was a huge thing to, to be able to pivot and, and get it done. Yeah, the other thing is, look, we took advantage of the market, right? It's not like we're geniuses and we totally crushed it because we had the perfect business plan. I mean, we had a great business plan and we executed it very well. And that was part of the process. But look, the market strengthened during the time we held during those two years and we took advantage of that. And that's why I think it's important to always reassess your business plan year over year. I mean, we reassessed it after six months of buying property because it was performing so well. So after your property stabilized, even though your hold period is five, seven, 10 years, it's always good to look and see is there something else we can do to benefit our investors even more? If we sell now, is it better for our investors? Is it worse? What can we do? But it always gets you thinking about your business plan and how to improve upon that. And that's what it's all about. I mean, we could very well have just not invited the broker, continued on our way. We'd be doing great at that property still, but we wouldn't have implemented that premium unit. We wouldn't have been able to sell it. We'd be holding on to it. And there's no way to tell where we would be in, in year six, four years from now, uh, with yield maintenance, we probably still have a pretty high prepayment penalty, which is one of the reasons why we decided to sell now because we just didn't know what that payment penalty was going to be. This is a 1960s product. It is only getting older. So we took our money and, and ran and, and we're going to put our investors' money into a better asset for sure. Right. And, and that's that explanation lets other people know that why we didn't refi because of the vintage of the property, because we saw the prepayment penalty, refine doesn't solve any of those problems. Yeah. So it was, it was best to, to sell, move on and find another deal. Yeah. And really the size of the property too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with smaller properties and we, our investors are really well on a 42 unit, but they are more management intensive. We cannot afford full-time management on site. And so we did have a lot of turnover as well with the staffing. So part-time manager, a part-time maintenance person, not easy to find. We were eventually able to piggyback off some other properties that we have to make it work. But smaller properties, there's definitely less margin. And also they are more labor intensive for the asset management team. All right. Well, that is the end of the episode. We are not going to ask what my asset management superpower is because we've done that, I think, three or four times. So we appreciate everyone hopping on. If you like the episode, please help us continue to grow this podcast. Give us a like, subscribe, and review, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Asset Management Mastery Group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to AssetManagementMastery.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.
choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. 